I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people asked me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me slash course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course. My name is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy. I'm a global connector, networking concierge, and coach. For two decades, I believed that my ADHD was a disability. Only at the age of 41 would I come to realize that my ADHD was an incredible asset. And when I leaned into that, I achieved greater success than ever before. ADHD is the engine behind my own success as a networker and coach. Over the past few years, I've spoken with thousands of entrepreneurs and found that many of them have some kind of neurodiverse diagnosis, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, OCD, and more. Like me, for many of them, their neurodiversity is indeed the very source of their success. On this show, we will change the narrative on neurodiversity. I've heard enough about the challenges and how hard it can be. I want to hear about how awesome we are. It's time to start talking about how our neurodiversity can be an asset for ourselves, our communities, and our businesses. It's time to start talking about neurodiversity superpowers. Welcome again to the Neurodiversity Superpowers podcast. Our guest today is Stefan Spencer. He is an SEO expert, best-selling author, and founder of the SEO agency Net Concepts. He has three books published with O'Reilly, The Art of SEO, Social E-Commerce, and Google Power Search. Stefan's also a serial entrepreneur with a successful exit in 2010. He's optimized the website to some of the biggest brands in the world, including Chanel, Volvo, Sony, and Zappos. Stefan hosts two popular podcast shows, Get Yourself Organized and Marketing Speak. Stefan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So it sounds like you know a little bit about SEO. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Some I've been doing it since the mid-90s. And uh, yeah, in fact, we were talking about this before the uh, episode uh, recording started, but uh, the, the book, The Art of SEO, that I, I co-authored is a thousand pages. <laughs> that, that is I'm a holding up a, a really big uh, doorstop here. Yes. Really heavy. Yeah, you, you say that, well, actually, yeah, the Bible's about a thousand pages. So that's like the Bible of SEO. So that does, and going back to the 90s, like that, that's when SEO was just people walking around town writing notes on a piece of paper, right? That's that's when InfoSeek and and uh, WebCrawler and AltaVista were, were around, yeah, oh, <laughs> back in the, those days, yep. Back in the old days, yeah, when they could index all the GeoCities pages. Yeah, and when you could just drop in some meta keywords and it actually did something. Before it got a little bit more crowded. So tell us about how you are neurodiverse. I've never gotten tested for ADHD, but I'm pretty certain that I would have it if I took the, the test. For me, uh, it's easy to ideate and brainstorm, come out with new innovations, products, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard for me to finish anything. Ah, yes. Finishing a book is very rare for me. I almost like nine out of 99 or out of a hundred books, 99 of them, I will not finish. So it's, that's, uh, that's one aspect. My, my Colby score, uh, I know you're familiar with that is mm -hmm. three, three, nine, three. The nine is for quick start. One of the threes is for follow through. <laughs> so I need to have a team of people following me around to finish the things that I start. Not everything 
should be finished. I learned this from one of my early clients several decades ago, uh, the Product Development Management Association, PDMA. And uh, they taught me that product development should be a funnel, not a tunnel. Not every good idea deserves to make its way all the way to a finished product. So yeah, that, that helped take some of the pressure off because I have, I kid you not, over 5,000 items in my to-do list. I use an app called Things by Cultured Code. Well over 5,000 items in there. Most of them I'll never get to. And that's okay. I just, I still have a trusted system so I can get stuff out of my head and not hold this stuff because that that's stressful for me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And be, being able to, I've heard it called kill your darlings, be able to let those let those that you know realize not everything comes out of your head is solid gold and it's not necessary to pursue them all and yeah in in the notes you sent me ahead of time you said i am prolific with ideas but leave messes in my wake that my team has to clean up which sounds very adhd yeah and in fact i used to call my blog so it's called stefan spencer's scatterings and then the subtitle was the scattered wisdom of an internet marketer whatever. I forget exactly the subtitle, but I knew intuitively back then that uh, this was in the, I don't know, 2000s, 2006 or something like that, 2004, that I, I must be so scattered to have some sort of neuro neurodiversity because I just drop ideas right and left, but seeing them through into things like a, a finished book or whatever is very difficult. I do have co-authors on the art of SEO so that I could finish it. And also <laughs> I have uh, ghostwriters helping me with things like blog posts and social media posts. And, uh, and in fact, books where I'm the solo author, I also get ghostwriters to help me too. It's much easier for me to dictate or just kind of talk through the, the, the concepts and have somebody turn that into text rather than staring at a blank screen. What uh, Bob Allen refers to as a speaker who writes versus a, a writer who speaks. So I imagine this must have been challenging at, at school because you can't bring in a ghostwriter to write your papers or have a support <laughs> team when you're, yeah, when you're trying to do your homework. Yeah, that was challenging. And yet I was able to kind of hack the system. Ah. I found ways to excel. Sometimes I, there were a couple of classes I actually failed at in middle school. I was too focused on the girl sitting next to me and not paying attention and being more disruptive and the show off and stuff, but I did get straight A's for most of my schooling. And then once I went to college and I could handpick who I got taught by, which professors and which topics and everything, I had much more leeway in that regard. Then I was able to hack the system even more. So I would, within the first week, drop from classes that it was a, a lousy instructor, or they would bring in a, a teaching assistant who wasn't good and even though you thought you were getting the professor you ended up getting mostly the teaching assistant so i'd drop immediately and switch to something else i would also find if there were ways that i could avoid attending the lectures there were classes that i took and got a's in that i never physically attended a single lecture i just learned from the book i'm a visual learner Mm -hmm. Not an auditory one. It's I enjoy listening to audiobooks, but I don't have the same level of retention that I do if I read it. So I would read the textbook and I would skip all the classes and I would get an A. I, I did basically the inverse of that. I'd go to the class, never read the book, and and get A's. The same kind of 
hack concept. So I, I know what I found was I learned to hack at school, you know, win at school. I figured out the optimum point of the point of diminishing returns. I'm like, oh, I can just get a B plus and, and that would be fine. That's everything I need, which worked great until I got to the real world and discovered B plus is an F in the real life of business. So how did you find the transition from being able to hack school to going into the real world? Did that did it serve you well or not so well? Oh, wow. <laughs> I had a kind of a tumultuous transition from schooling to the real world because I actually got asked to leave school. I was a PhD student in biochemistry. I didn't get asked to leave school, just to leave the lab and start over again with a different professor, a different advisor. And that was because I had a, uh, I had young children, I had a family, and I would want to leave at 6 p.m., whereas all the other graduate students would stay till 8, 9, 10 p.m. at night every night. And the professor's like, yeah, this isn't working. You show very little dedication compared to your colleagues. You need to show up and put the put the time in. And I'm like, well, I've got I've got little kids. I can't do that. So he's like, well, then you can find another lab. And the timing was perfect for this because I had just uh, presented a paper at something called the Second International Worldwide Web Conference. It was in 1994, and the uh, keynote speaker was Tim Berners-Lee, who invented the World Wide Web. Wow. And so I met him briefly, but I, I met Rob McCool there, who you probably had never heard of. He's got a, he's got a great name, right? Uh, Rob McCool invented Apache, the web server software that runs most of the web sites on the internet. So I met him back when he was at Netscape and he was uh, the coder who created Netscape server. And he was really inspiring to me. And I came back and then I had this run in with my advisor and I'm like, okay, you know what, maybe I should just get off this train altogether and start an internet company. And I did. I had no business experience. I had no classes in business or marketing and I was able to just wing it. That's one thing I'm really good at is just throw myself into any kind of challenge or opportunity and and figure it out, kind of reverse engineer it and poke and prod at the black box. So I did that and I started you know, an internet marketing firm in 1995. Was that primarily SEO back then or was it other other parts of It was mostly web design and, and development back then. SEO became more of a factor, I'd say more like 97, <clears throat> 98 for me. Mm -hmm. And then we really focused in on SEO almost exclusively from about 2000, 2001. And, and so did you have a team then or were you trying to do it all yourself when you were getting started? Oh, I had a team. I needed a team. I always needed to have people to clean up after me and make sure that stuff got finished. I mean, I'm, uh -huh. I'm good at... at at, at spotting the details, but I'm not good at, or I don't enjoy doing the actual implementation myself. So uh, yeah, I, I started out by using contractors. And then once I needed to switch to full-time employees, I, I did that, but I have a distributed team of people and that works really well. So I, I'm sure some of the early stage entrepreneurs listening would say, how did you start with a team? How did you afford them? Well, you get enough uh, contract work in to pay for it, and then you make sure that the numbers work. You, you got the clients first and then and then built the team to execute for those clients? Yes. I'll tell you a crazy story of how I got my first big clients. Yeah. Uh, so I talked my way into a conference that I didn't have the money to pay for, 
And so I got in as a volunteer and the, the conference was called How to Market on the Internet. Mm-hmm. It was uh, an IQPC conference. So they put on a lot of conferences and this was a big deal. It was $2,000 to attend. I didn't have $2,000. I just you know left graduate school and I took a part-time job at the university just so that I had some sort of safety net because I wasn't sure I'd be able to make it. So I was making very little money. I got in as a volunteer. They gave me the job of, of mic runner. So I was running around with the mic during Q and A, and sounds like a fun job. I'm I'm really cheeky, you know. This uh, this 23, 24 year old kid who's who's really got some uh, you know attitude and smarts and so forth. So I start chiming in to help the panelists and the speakers up on stage answer the questions because <laughs> so I've got a mic. <laughs> And they're not, I, I think I'm not doing anything wrong or anything, and they're, they're not adequately answering the question. So I chime in and start adding to uh, the answers. Yeah, it turns out by the end of the day, I got de-invited to attend and volunteer at the rest of the conference, which I was surprised by and a little bit hurt by it. But also, I ended up with a big stack of business cards. And two of those business cards turned into each of them a half million dollar client a piece. So yeah, that was the customer lifetime value of each of those. If I hadn't been that cheeky, I wouldn't have gotten them. I remember them saying, one of them said, you know more than the people up on stage. Like I got to hire you. And the only portfolio (laughs) I had at that time was some websites that I'd made for myself just on the side. I'd coded a bed and breakfast directory for fun and a community of published authors uh, and, and literary agents just did it for fun. So I was able to show those sites mm-hmm. off. And then I got those two big engagements and I didn't have to get funding. I didn't have to borrow money from the bank. That was my that was my angel investment and in, in investors. And there's, there's a lot of you know powerful parts of that story, which is and the, the worst, the worst thing that could have happened, the worst thing that would have happened is that same story. Yep. You didn't get those two clients, right? You got kicked out of the event you couldn't afford to go to anyway. And if you hadn't gotten those clients, then you wouldn't, it wouldn't have been worth your time to be at that conference anyway. So, so it, it's, I think a lot of people are like, well, you know, I, I don't know if I want to do that. I could get in trouble. People could, could get mad at me and all these bad things could happen. But if you really think about it, like what's that, what's the worst case, best case scenarios there. Worst case isn't that bad. It's, you can't go back to a conference yeah. you can't afford to anyway. Well, this is the irony of all ironies. This is my favorite part of the story, actually. A few weeks or months after, I got a call from a different conference organizer than the one that told me not to come back. And this one said, I want to have you come speak at how to market educational programs on the internet, which ended up being a much smaller event. But still, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a speaker now. Okay, cool. Yes. So I said yes. And by the way... We need a chairman for this event. We want to be the chairman. Yeah, totally. I'll I'll, I'll do that. I was terrible, by the way, at it. <laughs> I didn't know how to keep people on time and you know like entertain in between the sessions and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. I was I was, a, I was a hot mess. And I did a post conference workshop. So I got such massive coverage on that conference because of all those different roles I played. And then I started getting poached by other conference organizations. I like IIR, they would contact me because they saw the brochures that you know had me so with such top billing as as a chairman and so forth. So I just started saying yes to everything, even though I was a terrible speaker and even worse chairperson. I just said yes to everything, <laughs> and then I got better and better because I kind of threw myself into the in, into the hot seat. Yeah, there's a lot to that quick start thing. Yeah, jump and build a plan. Well, and, and the same way you built your business. It sounds like 
at the moment those companies approached you with their half million dollar, you know, half million dollar needs, you didn't have the infrastructure to serve. So them. I had to quickly hire uh, contractors and then I didn't have a place for them to work. And this was before the whole virtual work trend. Mm -hmm. So I worked out a deal with a, a guy who ended up being a client in exchange for helping him with his his website. We got to set up in his office, um, use some of his office space. So you know, a, a lot of people I talk to, there's a lot of elements of the story. They they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't grab the mic and answer questions. They wouldn't reach out to someone and say, "Hey, can we trade for office space." They wouldn't sell a product that they weren't ready to execute yet, with the faith they'd be able to execute it. What do you think it is about you that lets you just kind of say, "Yeah, let's go for it," as opposed to I don't know. Let's make sure. I guess it's just a, um, a lack of fear and a willingness to try things mm. and put myself out there and not be too concerned about how I look and make people spend so much time on looking good and not looking bad. And it's really unfortunate mm. because that's not how you live an outstanding life. That's not how you make a, yeah. a, a dent on the, on the world and make a you know, a positive impact, you know, be the change you want to see in the world mm -hmm. as Gandhi said, and how are you going to do that if you're a wallflower and just not willing to put yourself out there because you might not look good or you might not be liked or you might get some rejection. Yeah. So just by taking those, well, it, it's like the, the Michael Jordan quote about how he, he's missed 4,000, 4,000 shots and missed the game winning missed the crucial shot so many times and uh, you mm -hmm. know he's the best because he's yeah. failed and was it Wayne, Wayne Gretzky who said that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take yep yeah. yep that's another another big one um so you also mentioned in the in the notes you sent ahead that you use your intuition and psychic abilities to guide your decision making yeah this might be uh off putting for some listeners being, okay <laughs> so he's psychic huh um I have to tell you that I was a, a skeptic up until age 42. I did not even really believe in God. I did not have any uh, relationship with God that I would uh, that I was aware of. And then I went to India. I got touched on the head by a monk in this um, really ashram. It was it's um, it was actually a Tony Robbins Platinum Partner trip, and we were in the Leela Palace in Udayapur in India. And uh, Tony had arranged for these oneness monks to come to this event. And one of them gave me a, a blessing, a diksha, that's what it's called. And it woke me up. I experienced, I don't know how else to say it, a psychedelic experience. Everything was in technicolor, like a cartoon. I felt this deep sense of peace and connection to the creator and to everything the entire fabric of creation. I'd never felt anything like this before. And that opened me and it changed everything for me and started, miracles started happening right and left. And then a year and a half ago, I had another, so that was 2012. A year and a half ago, I had another spiritual awakening. And this time I had prayed for a job, which sounds strange because I'm a successful entrepreneur. Why do I need a job? But the thing was, I, I have a, two podcasts, and there was one podcast guest I had on who's pretty famous, Sheila Gillette. She's a, a famous psychic. And one thing that really stuck that I never forgot and just made an impression on me was her near-death experience and how 
at her deathbed. She had suffered complications from childbirth. She had a pulmonary embolism. She was not going to make it. And she prayed to God, please let me stay on the planet. Let me raise my kids. I'll do anything. Just give me a job. Please give me a job. I'll do anything. I guess this was implicit. And now, you know, looking back, it, it was part of the request was, I don't want to have a near-death experience to get a job. But I just, in the middle of the night, one night, it was actually January 22nd, I prayed for a job. And God answered immediately and showed me the matrix. I just saw how this illusion of reality is is set up and changed everything for me. So ever since then, my my intuition and my psychic abilities have been just really working um, <laughs> at full tilt. I did not know mm -hmm. that I was um, able to receive this kind of information until after that awakening. And then I started taking things like Akashic Records reading. I learned how to do that. I learned how to do like psychometry and remote viewing and uh, clairaudience, clairvoyance, clairsentience, et cetera. So yeah, very, very helpful. But the thing that I think our, our listener needs to understand is everyone is psychic. Mm -hmm. Everyone is psychic. So when you get this in, in, intuitive feeling to turn right instead of left, on your commute to work, heed that. It will probably lead to you not getting in an accident or to avoiding uh, an accident that would, would make you late for your important meeting or some other thing that is uh, benevolent and, and helpful to you and to others. And to not heed that usually leads to pain. Intuition is a way to get not just your gut feeling about something or your subconscious weighing in. It's a way to get insights and a uh, heads up from your spiritual support team. That would include your guides, your angels, um, God and himself, loved ones, you know, your ancestors who are watching over you and helping give you the, the, the nudges to contact somebody out of the blue or to, like I said, make that left turn instead of the right one. I, I think, there's, as you said, there's a lot of people would hear that and be like, Oh, now we're going to the weird places. But I have now spoken to, I think I've interviewed over 200 entrepreneurs at this point. I've met thousands. Uh, and the number of times these, these spiritual concepts come up is a remarkably, fairly regular conversation, whether it's around manifestation or around uh, intuition or you know anything like that. And I, I think some of, some of these people are turned off because they've run into dogma. You know, a, a church has taught them this, or uh, a lot of people take these messages and then wrap up basically a scam in these messages and then try to pitch it that way and be like oh you can talk to god just give me all your money but it's you know it's a very powerful thing. i mean you know i i sometimes describe myself as an intuitive networker mm -hmm. that the way i make connections i don't have a database i don't have a system really i'll talk to someone and i'll be like oh this person should talk to this person here you go this person should talk to this person it seems to work pretty well but the key to it is removing the judgment and then removing the tech, because you, you can't be intuitive when you're stressed out. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, quieting things and being able to, to hear that. And when you do that, many, many, many people I've spoken to have, have expressed similar concepts. You, I, they haven't gone to India and, and had awakenings necessarily, um, although some have. But, but you know, a lot of these principles, and that's something I started to realize when I, when I was going through my, the third season of my other podcast, The Guy Knows a Guy. And I'm talking to all these successful people, and they're telling me stories about, like, mindset shifts and, and these things. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I know what I need to do. I don't know how, but I know what I need to do. I need to figure out how to kind of have that energetic mental shift. And now I'm on the other side of it. I'm like, I can't explain what I did either. 
So I can't even tell someone else how to follow the same path. But but it, it's a very real thing that it's not just about numbers and meeting the right people and investing the right way and getting the proper returns. All that's important. But when you all the woo woo stuff is in place, for lack of a better term, you know, when the energy is right, when you're following the right path, when you're in the right journey, the rest of it falls into line somehow. Yeah. You know, it, the thing that works the best for somebody who's even just a little bit skeptical is the willing suspension of disbelief. Because if if you set aside any disbelief and go with an open mind and open heart into some experience, whether it's like, I don't know, playing a game of golf when you just had zero interest in it, but you're willing to try something new, you have something to talk with folks who are big into that, into that sport. Why not? Why not have that willing suspension of disbelief? Just be uh, open-minded. That's that's a really quality aspect of somebody's character. Yeah. And then uh, you mentioned this idea of being an in intuitive networker, and and I, I want to build on that by sharing a story about a pretty famous entrepreneur. His name is Vishen Lakiani. He's the founder of Mind Valley, MindValley.com, which. I think it's an eight or nine figure business. Their destination and the community for people who are spiritual seekers, a lot of wonderful courses there, and they put on really amazing events like A-Fest, which used to be called Awesomeness Fest. Anyway, so the founder, Vision, he tells the story of before he founded Mind Valley, he was at a, uh, a, a software company that served law firms and he would have to cold call law firms because he was in sales and he was commission only. He wouldn't eat if he didn't make sales and he was very, very poor at the time. Well, he went to a, a seminar on this or workshop on the Silva method. It was a spiritual workshop. And then he came back and he realized like, okay, I don't have to eat ramen noodles. I can tap into my intuition and not call all the law firms in each region alphabetically, but I can tap into my intuition and call only the ones that I feel drawn to, which he did. And then he got, uh, he doubled his sales within a week or two. And then he kept doing it and he doubled his sales again. And then he doubled his sales again. Next thing you know, he's a vice president at this company. And then he, of course, leaves to start Mind Valley. But the story of him, just instead of going A through Z, he's quote unquote randomly mm -hmm picking the law firms to contact based on his intuition, I think is very telling about how you can be an intuitive salesperson or network or, or biz dev person and get incredible results. Like it's not out of nowhere. I don't know if you've ever heard the term muscle testing or seen it in action. It's, uh, it was popularized in the book Power Versus Force by Dr. Hawkins. The, have you heard about this? I've heard of it. I'm actually it's very simple. It if you put your arm out and you try to hold it uh, out and then somebody pushes on your wrist, you'll have some resistance to that. You'll be able to keep your arm straight if um, they can you, you apply the same amount of pressure each time. But the thing is, if they ask a question or make a statement and then press, your body will react differently. Right. So, hey, uh, Stefan, hold this I don't know, processed food <laughs> in your hand and I'm going to press on your wrist. And then it tests weak. It's really easy for the person to push my arm down. But then uh, they have me hold a, a, an organic vegetable and then it, it tests strong. It's very hard for them to push my 
uh, arm down. So that is the idea behind muscle testing. It's also the more fancy term for this is applied kinesiology. But the idea of it can be applied Mm -hmm. without having somebody test you. You can just test yourself. You can put your forefinger and your thumb together, form kind of an okay kind of uh, symbol. The main thing is to form a, a circle with your forefinger and thumb. And then you put another finger, like your forefinger of your right hand, in the the circle and then try and push against those two fingers that are closing the loop. And like, that's the way that you're muscle testing. So I could say, my name is Stefan, test strong. My name is uh, Boo Boo, test weak. <laughs> Easy, easy to break that loop. So I could just think in my head, this is a person I should go introduce myself to. This would be in my highest and best good to do so. Test strong. Or I might think about, I don't know, quitting my, my, my job and starting a business. And then I test it and I'm like, oh, that test strong. Okay, awesome. So that's a way to tap into your intuition. And, uh, and, and it's not just your gut, like I said, it's your spirit guides, your unseen support team that are weighing in because they can see the future. Time is an illusion, which is really hard to grok. Time is an illusion. Uh, science is actually showing this to be true. Like there's a whole thing about a holographic universe and simulation theory and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. So if, if this is true, that time is an illusion, then time is past, present, future, all happening simultaneously. So it makes sense that on the other side of the veil, they'd be able to see like, oh, yeah, you're going to get in a car accident if you take your normal route to, to work. Go this different way or stay home. Sometimes uh, they'll, um, if you ask for help and you don't specify exactly what help you want, you just say, you know, please help me to be a better person or whatever. And like, okay, you're going to get a really bad cold now. Like, oh, I feel horrible. My head is pounding. I can't go to work today. No, I really need to, but I can't. I just can't. Well, this was the day you were going to crash your car. Now you're not. Yeah, that's some fascinating ways to think about that. You know, things I, I've always, you know, a lot of people out there saying, you know, you got to push your comfort zone and, and it's, it's, you know, where, where things are difficult, that's where they get, they get good and whatnot. And I, I've, I found the more I, I settle into my comfort zone, for lack of a better term, the more successful I am. So the, the more I try to be authentic to be like, okay, what feels right? What is the place I need to be? And the less I try to be like, okay, I need to build courses. I need to build structure because that's not my not my jam. My jam is interviewing people on podcasts and talking and creating content and making connections. Yeah. And, you know, high eye schmoozing kind of stuff. The more I do that, the more money I make and the more successful I am. And I think that that's something too is – is I haven't necessarily sat down taking a personality assessment of what I should do. Mm. I, it's just like what feels right. And I go to, I had someone hire me to manage a JV and involved making like 400 phone calls. And I <laughs> literally could not pick up the phone to do it. Um, I, I tried and I just got like, oh, I'd made three phone calls, like can't do it anymore. Ended up having to bring in someone else and subcontract to them because I couldn't do it because I've gotten so used to following this intuition of where I should be that uh, is that I can't go back and do the things I'm not meant to do. And it's made all the difference. It's gone from struggling for 20 years, trying to be something out of alignment to success, being something in alignment, which it sounds like it's along those, you know, w- without the tools of muscle testing and whatnot, just simply knowing, I mean, you know, if I start to get anxious, I say, okay, what am I doing wrong? How am I out of alignment? You know, anxiety is caused by being out of alignment, at least for me. And you know, if I'm feeling that discomfort and, and anxiety, I'm out of alignment in some way. What am I doing wrong? What do I need to re- reel yeah, back in? I just want to distinguish something I think is really important uh, that you're kind of uh, alluding to here. This comfort zone idea and the in alignment idea are actually 
different from each other, I, I believe. So if you're in alignment, it feels right, then you're in your gift, you're in, in the zone, in, in your zone of genius, as uh, Gay Hendricks would say, and, and what was that book uh, that Gay wrote? The Big Leap, mm -hmm. in your zone of genius, or uh, the, uh, Dan, Dan Sullivan refers to it as your unique ability. Dan Sullivan is the founder of right. Strategic Coach. So that's perfect. Uh, I'm 100% on that one. The comfort zone is where I see it being things like, okay, I don't want to really stretch out of what is comfortable. So I'm just going to sit on a couch all day and binge watch Netflix because right, that's right, super yeah. comfortable, not going to the mic and asking a question in front of everybody that where I might look stupid, but then I say something important that people come in and give me their business card afterwards. And then a relationship forms from that, that changes my whole life. That's the alignment, being willing to get out of your comfort zone to stay in alignment with who you truly are, not shrink at the opportunities, but to face them with, with strength and courage. You know, fear is yes. just, uh, stands for false evidence appearing real. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're willing to get outside of that comfort zone, but be in alignment in everything you do, I think that's the... Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, I, I've been working on like, what are the right terms for things? Because a lot of times, like in my old sales jobs, it's got to stretch your comfort zone, which basically meant you need to get totally out of alignment. And that's stretching your comfort zone because they wanted you to do what they needed you to do, not what you needed to do. Dan Mangana says that you want to, I believe he says you want to stretch your comfort zone, but not push your comfort zone. So kind of like a muscle, you want to, you know, you want to stretch it out, but you don't just want to slam it and, and rip it. And, I, and yeah, I, said, I, I, like, I like how you put that. Cause I've been kind of trying to figure out if your comfort zone is the right size. You know, I don't even think about think it that way. Right... Uh, it never occurs to me to think about it like that. It just, I guess the way I frame it for myself is I want to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. Because when I'm uncomfortable and it feels right to do it anyways, you know, feel the fear and do it anyways mm -hmm. is a name of a famous book by Susan Jeffers. If I'm comfortable with doing that, then all sorts of amazing things happen. You know, there, there are people who have hurt me in, in the past who I wouldn't want to contact and, and um, uh, maybe reestablish a relationship with, but at, at least I should give them the opportunity to apologize for what they've done and apologize for mm -hmm. anything that I've done. And if I, if I wanted to stay in my comfort zone, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that uncomfortable thing. You okay. get lots yeah. of brownie points in, in, in the upper worlds for going outside your comfort zone in that way and, and, that and fixing broken relationships. Well, and, and, and I feel like, I mean, stretching is terms often used. I'm I've recently hired a personal trainer, so I'm doing a lot more stretching. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Uh, because my comfort zone involves not touching my toes. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, that also creates discomfort because then my back goes out and all these things happen. But so when you stretch, there's this interesting. It's like sort of painful, but also sort of feels right. Mm -hmm. Um, like you know you're doing the right thing, even though it hurts them. And actually, a lot of things I do in the workout, like my muscles start hurting, they start burning. But it's not a bad kind of pain. But it's definitely pain. But it's like you feel yourself growing and stretching while you're doing it. And uh, maybe that's, especially for people who haven't really pushed this in the in the more spiritual, psychological way, most people have probably, hopefully, experienced stretching or exercising at some point in that positive way. And it's it's, it's almost like that in stretching your, your spirit and your mind too. Yeah. Well, speaking of sp stretching your mind, imagine, like, let's, let's say that you're not even that spiritual or spiritual at all. You could go to stretch and and 
exercise your brain by doing the 40 years of Zen program, which is one of Dave Asprey's uh, companies and do a week long neurofeedback. And it's a deep intensive where you work to get more alpha brainwaves and theta brainwaves and reduce the beta because beta is where we're just cranking along doing our, you know, working in our spreadsheets and whatever. But alpha is where flashes of brilliance come in or where we can get five times as much done that we at the rate that we normally work. So imagine going through the week-long program. I did this. My wife came with me and she did it as well. And, and after, one of the things that came out of it is it unlocked some memories from my childhood that I hadn't had since... I was a child. It was incredible. I don't have a lot of positive memories from my childhood because it was a very difficult, un, not just uncomfortable, but like a violent uh, childhood. I was you know, physically abused and stuff. So I was grateful to have, have some positive memories unlocked from that because I didn't have very many. Then just to take this to another level and work in the spiritual angle, uh, heading back home Heading to, I think it was to the conference. It was a pod fest you know, for uh, podcasters. And I'm dri driving there and wife's in the car, my young son and uh, two of my wife's family members. And I can't turn on, everybody's sleeping. So I can't turn on the radio or you know, podcast or anything like that. So I start having conversation with my guides and God and up up there in the in, in the upper worlds, they give me an incredible gift, which didn't cost fifteen thousand dollars. That's how much it cost to do forty years of Zen, and was instantly available without having to do the week long, you know, hooked up to all the neurofeedback uh, equipment and everything. I just asked for more memories from my childhood, more positive memories. Boom, they flooded in, ten times as more mem more memories than I had unlocked doing that week-long program and they just flooded to me and i was just i was tearing up it was beautiful it was incredible this has been a fantastic conversation and uh that's about interviewing seo people they all the same they all the same experiences so you know this is just another seo conversation another seo guy <laughs> honestly that's why i love that's why i found doing this show neurodiversity superpowers podcast here is the conversations we have are so much different um, I mean, I'm sure you've done plenty of podcasts. Uh, yeah, we get to explore such a broader area of life and experience. Oh my goodness. I, um, I totally relate to that. And, you know, just what comes to mind as an example of this for me was she, she wasn't on the on my podcast, but uh, she's a usability expert. Her name is Amy Africa. And she told me the most mm -hmm. profound thing actually about ADD and ADHD that changed my way of looking at it. And that is back in the day of like uh, hunters and gatherers, there was a third group and they were the spotters. So there were hunters, gatherers, and spotters. The spotters kept the tribe alive because they were the first to notice that the herd was on the move. Hey, there goes our food supply. They're, they're leaving. We better catch them or follow them, right? Or there is a neighboring tribe that was sneaking up in the middle of the night to murder us all. The spotters would be the ones to notice mm -hmm. that. And what do we label spotters nowadays who kept the tribe alive and, and were evolutionarily selected for so that we didn't all die? Well, they're labeled with this dysfunction called ADHD. Ah, uh, yes. So I'm a spotter. I'm, I'm not, I don't have any deficit. Like you say, it's a superpower. I have an overabundance of attention for the things I care about. I've always said ADHD is the clinical inability to pay attention to boring things. Dr. Ned Hallowell, who I interviewed on my show, he's like a world-class, uh, world-leading expert on ADHD, 
um, he explained that it's like having a Ferrari engine, but bicycle brakes. <laughs> that does sound somewhat <laughs> accurate. Well, so this has been has been fantastic. It's been a really interesting journey. Um, that's as I said, that's why I love podcasting. I have to learn stuff. I'm, I'm not big on finishing <laughs> books, just like you, but I can certainly finish a conversation. Well, at least eventually run out of time in a conversation. I don't, I don't know if I'd say finish, but. Uh, it's been great getting to know you here. Exactly. And uh, so if people want to get to know you more, where should they go to do that? Yes, yeah, so my personal site is stephanspencer.com. And my two podcasts are Marketing Speak and Get Yourself Optimized. Marketingspeak.com is the website for the former and getyourselfoptimized.com is the one for the latter. And that's the podcast that's not about SEO or any kind of online marketing it's all about becoming a better person. It's about spirituality. It's about biohacking and wellness mindset. Yeah, I've had incredible guests on both shows, but uh, a, a few standout examples for uh, Get Yourself Optimized have included Tim Ferriss, Byron Katie, John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, uh, Dave Asprey, uh, Michael Gerber, author of The E-Myth. I love, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a passion project of mine to been seven years going uh that, that podcast that is fantastic I th i'm i'm thinking a couple people who might be a good fit if you have not had them already which we'll we can talk about off the air oh, sure so yeah that sounds like a great show and i should definitely check that out as should you listeners check out get yourself optimized and marketing speak and of course you can go to stephanspencer.com and find all those links in the show notes so thank you stefan for being on the show this has been fun thank you yes this has been the Neurodiversity Superpowers Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse. Sign up to get every episode at neurodiversitysuperpowers.me. Join our Facebook group on facebook.com slash groups slash neurodiversity superpowers. Thank you so much for joining us, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people ask me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me slash course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course.